Hello and welcome to Ag PhD Radio, broadcasting from the Morton studio today. I'm Darren Hefty. And I'm Brian Hefty. Thanks for joining us. Today on the show, we're going to talk a little about spray additives or spray adjuvants, as some people may call them. If you've got any questions for us about that or anything else that's going on in your farm, our number here is 844-44-AG-PHD. That's 844-442-4743. Or you can send us an email, radio at agphd.com. So just to give you a little update from our own farm, we have been planting for two weeks and let's see this would be day three uh in week three so uh, about two and a half weeks now uh we we actually purposely tried to plant slow on corn i'm not talking about running the equipment slow i'm talking about not going very many hours per day just because we're going to do a bunch of silage corn we got a big dairy going up right next to us and and i didn't really want to have the silage corn in super early doesn't usually do a lot of good on silage corn we like planting that not late but just we know that the warmer it is the taller the corn gets and also we will put some rise up smart grass gibberellic acid on there only costs like three to five bucks an acre no big deal but a lot of times we're able to get an extra foot out of the the height of that corn an extra foot you think about that that's a big deal for tonnage when we're start when we start talking silage so anyway we finished our grain corn last week started planting our silage corn last week switched over to beans a couple of days ago uh, we're half done with beans already uh, so hopefully we'll finish beans this week and we'll have maybe two or maybe three fields of corn left to plant at the start of next week but won't take much and we'll be all done so it's really nice in our region of the country we've had a lot of prevent plant now we haven't done any prevent plant or anything we have all our grounds tiled and um, we do everything we can to uh, get the stuff in the ground no matter when we plant put it that way but it's so nice to just have a drier spring rather than these wet springs that we have unfortunately gotten used to lately. So anyway, things are going pretty good in our region of the country. I think you're going to see the planting progress uh, jump way up by this next Monday's report because this week a lot of people are rolling, at least in this region of the United States. All right, let's get to the Ag PhD mailbag. It's now mailbag time with Brian and Darren. All right, Brian, uh, Janelle didn't print all this stuff out. If you want to look at your email from the one we got this morning and from Brandon, uh, we got a number of different files sent in. And when, you, when you're sending us a question to radio at agphd.com, it's really helpful when you send plant tissue test results, soil test results, those kinds of things. It's just been fantastic. And uh, Brandon, gave us a question. He said, I am working with a farmer who wants to get 300 bushel corn. He's got plant tissue samples here of, from uh, the same quarter of land split into 80s and the corn will be next to it this year. The manure was applied at 9,000 gallons per acre last fall in November. And the soil samples that we're sending were taken before the manure was applied. Uh, we also put ammonium sulfate out there. Looks like a couple hundred pounds of that per acre. Okay, so we got soil tests, manure tests, and plant tissue analysis. And here, here are my comments on that, because the farmer says he wants to raise 300 bushel corn today. Um, it's possible. It's unlikely, but it's possible if the weather absolutely turns out to be perfect this year. All right, so here's the, here are the reasons why the odds are not super high. 
Okay, first of all, the amount of manure that got applied was it, it had a lot of salt in it. So the standard so the manure test, by the way, was run at Midwest Labs, and they'll say right in the test, it says right at the bottom of that test that you sent us. 500 pounds is their limit on a wet year, which is over 25 inches of rain, and less than 500 pounds of salt in a dry year. Well, we're in a drier year. We haven't had a lot of rain in the last eight, nine months, and we're going into a dry spring, and there were 700 pounds of salt applied with the amount of manure that went out there. So that's pushing it. So in the future, if it was me, I would be putting less manure on so we get less salt out there. Now, it might turn out great, but it does depend on rainfall. The next thing is the amount of nitrogen that's out there, and maybe I'm missing something. But from what you said, we got manure, and that's got, according to the test, 225 pounds. We've got ammonium sulfate, which you said has 40 pounds of nitrogen you put out there. And the organic matter is going to release during the course of the growing season. There's about 5% organic matter, about another 100 pounds. So you add that up and you go, whoa, whoa, that's 365 pounds. That is almost exactly what I need for 300 bushel corn. Okay, well, that all sounds great, except for this. That manure isn't going to be available today, and the organic matter nitrogen isn't going to be available today. So what I fear is that on the front side, you're going to short yourself on nitrogen. And looking at the tissue test from last year, it looked like there was a shortage on nitrogen. I think it was about mid-season. So my point is simply this. If any farmer wants to raise great yield on corn, there has to be ample nitrogen all throughout the season. And on these drier years, and especially in these some of these colder climates where the manure and the organic matter nitrogens are not going to come available for a long time, we listen to all the people in the South and all these warm temperature people saying, well, you got to split apply your nitrogen. Okay, look, I get it for the people that have light soils, fine, but this is heavy soil and it's cold soil. And you have almost no nitrogen out there right now. So if it's me, I'm putting at least another 50 pounds out at planting time, maybe even 100. And I know in the end, you'll probably have too much nitrogen. But the problem is you just don't have enough that's available today, in my opinion. Hopefully I'm wrong, but that's my opinion. Uh, okay, next thing, potassium. I, I saw a lot of one and a half, two percent base saturation K. That's one of your biggest yield limiting factors today. And with the manure that's getting applied out there... There should be enough K for this year, but still, it's chronically low. And so every single year, I don't care if you're raising corn, beans, wheat, whatever crop you're raising, I would be a put, I would be putting on a build level of potassium every year to get up to that six or seven percent base saturation K, where you need to be to consistently get 300 bushel corn. And then one of the biggest things is drainage. Does your field have great drainage? Looking at the soil tests, I'm a little concerned. If it's pattern tiled. Uh, fine, but if it's not, I would I would take a hard look at that too. Oh, and last thing, phosphorus levels kind of low as well. That's all I've got. Uh, stay tuned. We'll be right back. If you're looking to get the most out of your foliar nutrition and fungicide programs, ask your ag retailer about Nutex EDA from Sipcam Agro. Nutex EDA has been proven to increase foliar micronutrient tissue levels and maintain those levels for an extended period of time. When tank mixed with fungicides, Nutex EDA helps support plant health, resulting in higher quality and yields. Nutex EDA is an affordable and effective solution that should be part of every grower's high yield toolbox. 
Give your corn a strong defense against stress throughout the season with MycoApply Indoprime SC. MycoApply Indoprime SC uses four specially selected species of mycorrhizal fungi to protect your crop against stress. That means more access to water and key micronutrients while building a healthy soil structure for stronger crops for years to come. Stronger corn starts beneath the surface. Learn more about MycoApply Indoprime SC at IndoprimeCorn.com. Always read and follow label instructions. As a little girl, I always wanted to run the combine because it meant I was helping dad. And dad always said, farmers are helpers. I'm teaching that to my daughters, that farmers help our family, our neighbors, and our community. It's what I do at work. I help farmers get the equipment they need. My name is Kim, I'm a farmer, and I work for Case IH. Case IH, built by farmers. A history of success means proven performance, but let's call performance what it is profitability and boosting yours no matter what the season brings is the goal of decal brand corn backed by exclusive genetics whole farm solutions and unmatched dealer support let nothing shake your perseverance ask your dealer how decal brand corn can help you realize a future of performance always read and follow IRM where applicable grain marketing and all other stewardship practices and pesticide label directions Back, you're listening to Ag PhD Radio, broadcasting from the Martin Studio today, talking about spray additives and some of the things that really help us make these crop protection products work well. And I know we get questions all the time about which additive to use here and there, why they aren't all in the jug. Thought it'd be a fun time to talk through some of those things as you get out there with your sprayer this year. So hopefully your results are fantastic once again. We've got our friend Kent Woodall on right now with Rosens. Kent, thanks for joining us. Absolutely. Absolutely. All right. Let's start with that first question. Why don't the manufacturers put all the additives they want in the jug? That's a good question. And it's a common question. Uh, Most of the uh, product in the U.S. is built for the formulated goods for the pesticide control, insecticide, fungicide, herbicide. And the adjuvant components in the U.S. or in Europe are sometimes built in, but in the U.S. they are not. Therefore, there have become additives or adjuvants added to the tank. And all of those have specific functionalities depending on what the label requirements might be for water conditioning, for herbicide penetration or uptake or perhaps deposition or retention or uh, some of the new ones would be to minimize volatility. So you can't put everything you need into a two and a half gallon jug that needs to go into the spray tank to maintain proper functionality. Yeah, I just look back to last year and we started off kind of cool and wet and then all of a sudden we were hot and dry, just completely different conditions. And when we think about weed control, man, it gets really tough when those leaves get thick and they don't want to take anything in in the hot and dry weather. I know there's reasons why we use Mm -hmm. different types of additives in the spray tank. Talk to us through some of the early season things. We're in April now, a lot of farmers complaining in different areas. Oh, it's kind of cool and and it's tougher to kill the weeds. What are some of the some of the types of additives you may consider in those environments? Sure. Well, the basics in, um, in especially under stress conditions, um, you might consider uh, most labels are going to recommend a given adjuvant or adjuvant type. 
Uh, it might be alternate. You can use, for instance, a NIS or a COC, crop oil concentrate, or a non-ionic surfactant. Um, you might want to lean towards the more aggressive version of either one of those, um, particularly the smaller weeds, but yet stressed. And the, it mainly boils down to the oil adjuvancy effect or the uptake effect versus a straight NIS. Now, some products only require NIS and do not require uh, COC and prefer not to use that. So it's always incumbent upon double-checking the label. You know, there are a lot of differences out there, and we'll get emails from farmers talking about, man, I can buy, you, you mentioned crop oil, for example, and they'll say, well, I can buy mm -hmm. it for half price over here or even less. What are the differences out there? Because obviously there's a lot of difference in these products. Is it something that, that most farmers are aware of, and what should we be looking for to make sure we're getting good quality stuff? Yeah, you know, Grandpa said uh, you often get what you pay for, you know, so... Uh, when I see flashing signs and uh, neon lights at Kmart years ago and as a kid, it's like, okay, probably not worth the dollar that I may be saving there. But if you come right back to it, Brian, the main thing is always use the quality component. COCs are really built into uh, an 8317 is a really basic crop oil concentrate. There's also 8020s, and that 80 is the oil base, petroleum oil distillate. And then the 20% or 17 is the surfactancy component or ad, uh, NIS component, emulsifier component. Some of the uh, newer products out there could be HSOCs, high surfactant oil concentrate. And those are like 60-40s. So depending on the tank mix that we're going out with, um, HLB is a, a technical term, hydrophilic balance, but if you have a solution product like a glyphosate product, it doesn't prefer oil-based adjuvants. It prefers NIS-based adjuvants. And the opposite is true. If you're dealing with basically anything, maybe for your viewers, anything that uh, turns milky white uh, or your listeners, um, you need probably going to need an oil-based adjuvant with that, clethodim, any of those type of grass, selective grass control products. So likes dissolve likes and emulsifiers need oils. Clear liquids or solutions need probably NISs. That helps uh, maybe put some clarity into some of that. Yeah, a lot of choices to make as we get into this spray season, and we're talking about spray additives on today's show with Kent Woodall with Rosens. And as conditions change, as products change, you're going to need some different things as you're going. Kent, you've had great advice for us. We really appreciate it. Good luck to you and your team heading into the spring. Yep. Thank you. Appreciate it. You too. All right, we talked about a couple of things. They're basic ones, too, non-ionic surfactants, crop oils, and how those are a little bit different. we got our friend Jim Reese with Precision Labs on right now to expand on that. Jim, how are you doing today? I'm well. How are you guys doing? We're doing pretty well. And, you know, the rules are always changing, Jim. We, we've got products now where their labels are online. What you can mix with them is online and changing on a regular basis. It hasn't been like that for very long. How do you adjust to a system like that? Boy, it's a it's a struggle. I know it is on our end, and it's got to be on the on the growers' end. But it's the world we live in, right? Now we have to check in and and uh, go to a website to see the latest changes, um, and just some of the regulatory challenges around all that is uh, is uh, tough for either for 
for companies like ours or even Mr. Woodhall's. You know, we get a lot of questions from farmers that they'll say, well, I'm doing this and that mix of herbicides and I'm going to spray it post-emerge. And then they'll a lot of times name a certain kind of spray additive or two that they're using. And there's so many different brand names out there and it gets to be a little bit tricky to to compare. You, you feel like you're comparing apples and oranges all the time. What are some of the things that growers need to be aware of as they head into the year and uh do you find everything you need to know on the label or do you, do you always have to be talking to an agronomist as well? Well, you know, really having a, a agronomist that you trust is, is really helpful in sorting through all this. Um, so there are some labels uh, that are products that are CPDA certified. And uh, so by di- they're required by, to be CPDA certified, you have to follow certain rules relative to how you write the label and how you describe the chemistry. So um, that's really useful. That, that helps you start to compare apples and apples. When you start seeing, you know, labels of, say, Mega Maximizer or Ultra Penetrant or something like that, that gets a little bit suspicious. Those are not ASTM-type definitions or terms that are, that are used in the industry. One other thing, Jim, that we hear a lot from farmers is, what can we do to ensure that everything stays mixed well and I don't have any problems? We've been using a product called Convert to try to help with that. Have you had good uptake in the market with those types of products? And do you feel that's something growers should just always have on hand or always have in the tank? Yeah. So, uh, you know, as, as we do more and more to fight resistant weeds and we've got more tank mix partners or we're trying to put down pre-emerge products with um, UAN or ammonium thiosulfate, we need a lot of help from compatibility agents. Uh, Convert is a good example of a, a compatibility, a great compatibility agent. Um, so I think you've, you've got to almost assume if you're going to, anytime you're going to use ammonium thiosulfate or UAN, you probably need a, a compatibility agent. Um, you're going to need to put it in first. Usually, compatibility agents are great at preventing problems. They're not so good at curing problems. So if you've made 1,000 gallons of block, you're going to be stuck with 1,000 gallons of block. Uh, so you want to prevent that. And uh, to have it on hand or at least anticipate as you look at your tank mixes that you're going to be using a compatibility agent or need to is important. And then always follow the right mixing sequence. Um, that's hard to do if you just read a label. Um, but if you use the MixTank app, and there's a couple other apps out there, but MixTank is a free app uh, that we have, um, you can actually build recipes and it'll sort out the right mixing sequence for you. Yeah, that's true. It's not just the products that you're putting in, putting them in the tank. It's the order that they're going in that can make a big difference. We're talking with Jim Reese with Precision Labs. Jim, thank you so much. Really appreciate having you on. I'm sure we're going to have some some spray questions for you coming up during the growing season. Sounds good. Have a great day, guys. You too. Talking about spray additives on today's Ag PhD radio program. Also taking your calls and agronomic questions at 844-44-AG-PHD. Stay tuned. Protect your empire. Rule your fields with dual modes of action. Low-use rate Authority Supreme Herbicide from FMC combines Group 14 and Group 15 modes of action for pre-plant and pre-emergence control of key broadleaf weeds and grasses. A preventative application keeps your fields clean when it matters most to crop productivity. 
Visit your FMC retailer or ag.fmc.com to learn more. Always read and follow all label directions. Give your corn a strong defense against stress throughout the season with MycoApply Indoprime SC. MycoApply Indoprime SC uses four specially selected species of mycorrhizal fungi to protect your crop against stress. That means more access to water and key micronutrients while building a healthy soil structure for stronger crops for years to come. Stronger corn starts beneath the surface. Learn more about MycoApply Indoprime SC at IndoprimeCorn.com. Always read and follow label instructions. This is Quick Dick McDick from Tufnell asking you, have you heard of Mandaco Land Rollers? They're the ones with the green paint, and I'm not talking about the green paint that requires a technician and a laptop to fix. I'm talking about the Mandaco green paint that doesn't need fixing because it's built tough. We're talking 5 8 thick, 42-inch diameter drums, people, and I've learned never to talk about size unless you can back it up when a measuring tape gets pulled out. So keep your seed and rocks in the ground where they belong and get yourself a roller at mandaco.com. A lot goes into keeping a precision operation moving. The inputs you choose have to deliver results. New Delaro Complete Fungicide from Bayer offers unmatched consistency and the most complete disease control available. Your corn and soybeans are protected and yields higher even in unpredictable conditions. With Delaro Complete, you get results you can count on to help keep your precision operation running smoothly. Always read and follow label instructions. To learn more, visit delarocomplete.us today. AgroLiquid is precision crop nutrition. That means being committed to product performance, to research and field testing, and to superior agronomics. Most of all, AgroLiquid is committed to delivering precisely the right nutrition in the right way, including seed-safe planter plus side dress applications and foliar applications with low burn risk. AgroLiquid. Apply less. Expect more. Find a retailer at agroliquid.com. When it comes to innovative herbicide formulations, you know New Farm. New Farm brings you Credit Extreme, the herbicide with dual salt technology that makes all the difference. Faster uptake, quicker rain fastness, and better control in variable weather, something we've all had our fair share of. When you need more powerful weed control for challenges like lamb's quarters and velvet leaf, with excellent safety to round up ready crops, you need Credit Extreme. New Farm and Credit Extreme, here to help. Thanks for listening to Ag PhD Radio today. We're talking about spray additives. This is something, regardless of what you're spraying out there, chances are there's an additive or two that you need to be throwing into the, into the tank. If you've got agronomic questions that come up as a result of this discussion or just other things that are going on in your farm, give us a call at 844-44-AG-PHD today. We've got our friend Eric Prostko with the University of Georgia on right now to talk a little about spray additives. Eric, thanks for joining us. Hey guys, how are y'all today? Pretty good, pretty good. I'm going to throw a hard question at you right off the bat. I hope hope you're ready for that. Well, I'll try my best. I can <laughs> mumble through it, maybe. <laughs> well, there's so many new products and new additives, and especially when we think about dicamba products and 2,4-D products now, that we need to put in these drift reduction agents, volatility reducers. A lot of growers are wondering, what do you see with those products? Do they really work? And do they impact our weed control in a positive or negative way? Hey, that, uh, that's a that's a great question. And, uh, of course, we're going to be revving up here pretty soon doing some of these uh, 
dicamba and 2,4-D sprays, but you know, the new one has been the volatility, the, uh, the volatility reduction agent this year. And uh, from I haven't done any research per se, but some of my colleagues have, and they do really work. And so it's of course it's all required now by the label. So you're not supposed to be spraying any other dicamba products without a, a volatility reduction agent, or they sometimes call it a pH buffering agent. It depends on which company. Uh, you're you're talking to, but they do work for sure. You know the drift retardants. Um, you know in our recommendations when we talk about all the things that you can do for drift protection, that's certainly one. There, there's about ten or fifteen other things we want you to do, but the addition of a drift retardant uh, does seem to help. But uh, certainly that volatility reduction agent is critical this year to be uh, a legal application and. We want to make sure we cut down on any more problems that we have so we can continue to keep that product around for a long time. Yeah, I agree. We want to have all the tools in the tool belt, no doubt about mm -hmm. that. Uh, one of the things that comes up, too, is we hear a lot of recommendations of, well, we need a quart per acre of this additive. But then we have some farmers that are spraying 20 gallons per acre and some that are spraying 10. And the concentration yeah. is wildly different at that point if you're just putting a straight quart in. Do you think we need to change how we're making some of these recommendations to go to what is going to be the concentration in the solution? Yeah, I think that's a great, great point that you make. I'm, I'm a little bit older, so I was around back in the day when a quart per acre of a crop oil per se was a, you know, that was just a standard recommendation. And I think over time, you know, some of my mentors that I worked with over the years, we've always said that same thing. Well, a quart per acre in 15 gallons isn't the same as a quart per acre in 20 gallons. And that's when we started talking about uh, percentages on a volume-to-volume -volume basis. So, for example, of course, surfactants, we've always done generally a, a quarter percent volume-volume, where uh, which is one quart in 100 gallons, where, you know, a lot of times now with oils, we recommend a 1% volume-to-volume, which is one gallon in 100 gallons, which is easy to remember. So in our part of the world, you know, I think one 1% uh, volume to volume with some of our crop oils is sufficient, realizing that we tend to have higher humidity and more rainfall. So that works for us. It may not work where you are from in the Midwest, but uh, that seems to work pretty well for us in the Southeast. We mentioned the humidity, and I also think about heat. And when we get into the summer, I, I've been to Georgia a few times. It it gets pretty nasty there at times. Let's face it, it yeah. does. And that has to change things too, doesn't it, when the plants are, are trying to deal with all that stress? Yeah, for sure. You know, and, and, and there are times when we have the option, for example, to use a crop oil versus a surfactant with some of our products allow that. To, to the labels would allow that if a guy if a grower wants to cut down generally we see more injury with crop oils as opposed to non-ionic surfactants you know crop oils also have surfactants in there right it's a mixture of oil and surfactant so in some cases uh, if if we have that option to switch uh, it's uh, that's a way we can cut down on potential injury by not having a crop oil in there and maybe not, depending on the product, we're not going to lose any control. So I think it, we have some flexibility there depending on the products. But generally when it's hot and, and we spray a crop oil or we spray, uh, we do, I'm sure you all do this where you are, we typically don't put one thing in the tank. We usually have two or three or four or five, who knows. And then when you start having um, other formulations mixed in there that are ECs or oil-based, then that starts to compound things and heats everything up even more. So we 
kind of got to pay attention to what's going on in the tank because it's very rarely that one thing goes in there. I'm sure you guys do that on your own farm. Oh no, there's well. always, there's almost always multiple things going in there each time we're yep. going across. And, and it kind of leads into to my last point is the tank clean out as we're putting in all these different things in the tank. It's not always the same. What's going to be the best thing to get it back out or, or to clean it out. Do you spend a lot of time talking with growers about tank clean out in Georgia? Well, well, I think we we do to some degree. We, our biggest challenges in the southeast with clean out is with Valor or Flumioxazin. We've had ever since that product uh, was developed, we've had some problems uh, with sprayer clean out, and, and of course, there's a you know we've learned how to deal with that and uh, with tank cleaners and not not leaving things sit overnight, those kind of things, and we've learned to live with it. But that's been the biggest challenge that we've had. Uh, pretty much every year, we're always going to get a little valor contamination, uh, but we've learned to deal with it. But but I think it's always a good idea uh, to think about sprayer clean out. And one of the things I always we do talk about is that, as it, depending on the type of sprayer that you have, if you have an older sprayer that has rubber hoses on it, uh, the day that you buy that sprayer, there are minuscule or microscopic cracks in those hoses that can collect material. So as your sprayer ages and you're replumbing, it's always a good idea to, to take a look at those hoses and see if you need to replace them because uh, you may you may do a good job cleaning and then uh, some somewhere down the line something comes out of that hose that you weren't expecting. But it's it's important. We've got to do a good job, to, especially if you're spraying multiple crops and uh, have, have sensitive crops like we do in our area where we, we have all kinds of crops that could get sprayed with one sprayer. Yeah, it is. It is super important. We're talking with Eric Prosco with University of Georgia. Eric, thank you so much. Really appreciate all the insight today. I know you get. I know you're a busy guy, especially this time of year. So good luck and stay safe. Hey, thank you very much. Appreciate as always. I appreciate visiting with you. You bet. All right, Brian, spray additives. I, I like that we kind of kept it simple, though. We focused on uh, just some big, broad categories like non-ionics or factants versus crop oils or methylated seed oils because there are a lot of hybrid-type products out there trying to, to fit different market needs and to give companies marketing edges and these kinds of things. But it, it kind of comes down to using non-ionics or factant or using an oil. Right. And then the other thing is the water conditioning. And just to go back to that for a second, we talk all the time about the other things that are in water, whether it's calcium, magnesium, iron, just things that could tie up your herbicide or fungicide or whatever it is you're spraying, and that can cause some real problems. So you want to make sure that you're either using some sort of soft water or you are conditioning that water because what we find is we get better performance. So there are a lot of products out there that can do that. Um, one that we've been using in our farm lately that's really inexpensive, for example, is water right. So now... On the other hand, you could just use ammonium sulfate, and that can sequester some hard water ions as well. So a lot of times people, though, will say, well, I don't want to dump those bags in. And I go, look, you don't have to dump the bags in, but how often is it that the cheapest thing is also perhaps the best thing that you could throw in that tank? Now, sure, you can't use ammonium sulfate with the camba. That's not labeled anymore because they claim that it increases volatility. I don't know if I believe that. But nevertheless, ammonium sulfate is not labeled with dicamba in extend crops. But for a lot of other uses, or just like Roundup, you're going to go spray Roundup, 
I want ammonium sulfate in that tank. And I, I, I don't mind that we have to dump some bags. I look at it as, well, it's kind of the exercise program that we've got as farmers to dump a few bags. But if you don't like that, you can switch to something else. The problem is when you switch to something else, you aren't getting true ammonium sulfate anymore. And ammonium sulfate has nitrogen. It has sulfur. And it, what it does is it can serve as the nitrogen source. There are nitrogen-sensitive weeds like water hemp, for example, where your Roundup absolutely will work better because that ammonium sulfate is in there and because it is a nitrogen source. But also ammonium sulfate can lower the water pH a little bit. Now, it won't lower it a lot. So let's say you have chlorine. Now, chlorine can hurt uh, not only in that it raises pH, but also it will kill any biologicals or natural products you want to use. So you need to neutralize that. Uh, we, we use a product called BioPrep. We'll talk more about that and some of these other adjuvants right after this. Whether or not, relentless control is what you get with Anthem Max Herbicide from FMC. Protect your season from tough broadleaf weeds and grasses with dual modes of action and overlapping residuals that also minimize resistance. With an easy-to-tank mix formulation and wide application window, Anthem Max Herbicide is ready when you are. Visit your FMC retailer or ag.fmc.com to learn more. Always read and follow all label directions. You work for results. That's why the Enlist Weed Control System gives you flexible tank mixing, near zero volatility, a wide application window, and proven weed control. Because the Enlist system was built for your results. Get better weed control with no ifs, ands, or buts at Enlist.com. Enlist.com. Want to cut production costs without losing yield? Brian Ryberg from Buffalo Lake, Minnesota has done just that. Here's his story. We began using a soil warrior in our farm fall of 2014. We've seen many benefits from better water infiltration, a lot less hours on equipment, fuel, able to reduce our fertilizer side, so it's really simplified our operation. See what makes Soil Warrior different and better at SoilWarrior.com. Heat, drought, wind, hail, northern corn leaf blight, gray leaf spot. If your corn is under stress, you are too. Get Veltima fungicide, swift activity, with fast payback, an expanded application window. Makes life simple, and it's a secure choice. With powerful residual for visibly healthier corn. Swift, simple, secure. Veltima fungicide. Call your BASF rep today. Always read and follow label directions. Veltima fungicide is not registered in all states. Pentair Hypro Ultra Low Drift Nozzles are your ideal choice for the Enlist E3 herbicide system. With coverage comparable to flat fans and with 90% less drift, ULD nozzles meet all required standards for Enlist applications and provide optimal performance of contact herbicides. Learn more at pentair.com hypro. Start your crop off right with the Germinator Closing Wheel from Farm Shop MFG. Our spike design excels on variable soils and shatters compaction. Plus, the unique shoulder firmer encases a seed to maximize seed-to-soil contact. Order yours at farmshopmfg.com. No matter what time of the year it is on your farm, with a Bayer Plus Rewards program, earning and redeeming rewards are always in season. Because when you buy two or more eligible seed or crop protection products throughout the year, you earn $3 per acre in cashback rewards. Cash you can redeem and reinvest in your farm later in the season. That's Bayer Plus Rewards. And that's how we're helping make every part of your season, well, rewarding. Visit MyBayerPlus.com to learn more. 
See program terms and conditions for full details. Welcome back to Ag PhD Radio. Brian Hefty here along with my brother Darren. We are live in the Morton studio. Today we're talking about spray adjuvants. And right before the break, I had just mentioned chlorine. If you haven't thought much about this, and I didn't, I screwed up when we switched over from well water to rural water that's chlorinated. I kind of forgot about the pH thing. Look, if you have chlorinated water, the odds are pretty high. It's an extra point higher on pH. When it's a point higher on pH, that can negatively impact herbicides and fungicides that you might be spraying. It also will kill biological or natural products that you're trying to use. So you got to neutralize that chlorine. Uh, I, I mentioned a product called BioPrep, but there are others out there. just costs a few cents an acre, but you can turn that chlorine into chloride, and now it's not going to have all that negative impact. Your pH starts to come down. The biologicals live. So it, just be keeping that in mind as you move forward. So, again, the main things we talked about today in most cases, you're going to need either non-ionic surfactant, which doesn't give you enough burn, that's mainly a spreader sticker, or you're going to need an oil, either crop oil or methylated seed oil. So just check the labels. Oh, and I do want to, I, I should come back to, I think one of the things that Darren talked with Kent Woodall about right at the open was, why aren't some of these adjuvants right in with the products? The main reason why, for me and what I've always talked to farmers about is, look, as an agronomist, I may change my recommendation to you on what I want for an adjuvant in there. It might be NIS, it might be crop oil, it might be methylated seed oil, depending on two things. One, the weather. Two, what are you tank mixing with? If the weather is really hot and dry, then I'm leaning more toward, you know what, I got to have something to burn through that thick wax that will develop on the on the leaf of the weed. And we got to go crop oil or methylated seed oil instead of non-ionic surfactant. On the other hand, if it's been cool and damp for a long time, you say, boy, we got thin leaf cuticles out there. If I go crop oil or methylated seed oil, I am really going to burn the crop. So I don't think I'm going to do that. And on, uh, along the same lines, it depends on what you're going to tank mix. So if I'm spraying something all by itself, well, maybe I need that crop oil or methylated seed oil. But if I put it with three other products, well, with the adjuvants they have already inside some of them, maybe I don't need anything. So it's nice to have that flexibility so we don't run into crop injury issues, number one, and number two, so we can do a better job on weed control and make more fine-tuned adjustments as we go through the season. But anyway, so we talk about all those. We talk about water pH, chlorine, and then we get to that nitrogen side. It's either ammonium sulfate or, in some cases, using some liquid 28%. But we do really like ammonium sulfate. The ammonium sulfate replacement products can be fine. Just make sure you know what you're getting. Because, again, ammonium sulfate can do a lot of things for you. And typically, ammonium sulfate replacement products don't do all the same things. So just make sure you know what you're doing. Talk to your agronomist and all that stuff. And as long as you're using the right adjuvants, you know, a lot of these products work fantastically well. But I will say as an agronomist, this is one of the things that I learned when I was young. I'm like, well, why do we need to throw these extra things in there? Does it really make that much difference? Yes. Yes, it can. Both good and bad. So make sure you're talking to an agronomist, following the labels, and using the right spray adjuvants when you need them, and you should be in good shape. 
All right, let's dive into the Ag PhD mailbag. And this one comes from Diva. We've got a milky mushroom farm, and we're using a casing media for the mushroom beds. Our casing media is a ratio of 10 to 1, 10 parts carbon, or I'm sorry, 10 parts compost to one part calcium carbonate. After we use this media once, we don't use it again. So we've been spreading it out by coconut trees, palm trees, pepper plants, and, and other types of plants. Unfortunately, we're not having good effects from this because the calcium carbonate level is so high. So I'm wondering, do you have any suggestion how we could reduce the calcium power from this product? That's a high ratio of well, calcium carbonate in there. I'm not sure that you could use it like you're using it. Or you'd have to use just such a small amount as you're spreading this out just to get rid of the the uh, casing media that you're putting in there for your mushroom beds. Okay, so let's step back for a second here. What are we talking about? Uh, too high of lime. Well, what is lime? Calcium carbonate. Okay, am I worried about the carbonate? No. As long as you have good drainage, you're going to flush that out. What I am worried about is the excess calcium. So it's the same thing we talk about in soils all the time. It's the balance overall in the soil. Look at the base saturation test. What are the five elements that are in there? Hydrogen, sodium, magnesium, potassium, and then calcium. Okay, so if you're going to raise the calcium abnormally high, that's fine. It's not going to hurt anything as long as you raise all the other things abnormally high, which now means you're probably going to need to put on magnesium, potassium, maybe even a little bit of sodium, and you're going to want to try to drive that pH down, getting more hydrogen out there. There are many ways that that can be done, but one of the things a lot of people will talk about is using sulfur. So as long as you have good drainage, then I'm putting more sulfur out there. I'm putting more potassium out there. I might be putting more magnesium out there, depending on how high my calcium level is in relation to the magnesium. And I might possibly even look at a little bit of sodium. Usually you don't need much at all, though. So those would be the ways I would counteract all that lime that's gotten out there in the soil. All right. Thanks for the question. We appreciate that. Got this one from Zach in northwest Minnesota. He said you guys were talking about nutrient stratification recently, and I can see that being a terrible problem on our farm. We're a conventional tillage, but we don't work very deep because our clay soils have a hard pan that if we fracture too much, we'll sink out of sight in the spring. <laughs> that being said, yep. I know we need to go deeper with tillage than we're currently doing, especially after seeing your show. And if yep. we're cultivating our phosphorus in at four inches with tillage, our nutrients are likely only going about two inches down. So my question is, could I set up a rig that has no-till coulters set to 30 inches to fracture that hard pan without completely shattering it? And then can I set my air cart up to place fertilizer eight inches deep over those spots? <laughs> if so, I'm wondering, will the fertilizer move laterally at all? We're seeding wheat at seven and a half inches and either 15 or 22 inch soybeans, 22 inch sugar beets. Uh, P and K aren't going to move laterally hardly at all in your situation. Now in light ground, and where it's warm and they have lots of moisture, then yes, potassium, it's possible to move laterally to some degree, but phosphorus, no. I, I would say I, I, I'm, I appreciate the idea on this, but the tools that you're talking about to go that deep, I don't think are going to work super well for you. So let's talk about how we do the same kind of thing because we, we've, 
we, we've dealt with it as well. So one of the things that we will do is we, we will go out with a ripper and I'm going to call it a ripper just because everybody knows what I'm talking about, but we'll try to use straight shanks and narrow points so we're not totally rolling everything. And we'll go down below the deepest hard pan, which is usually somewhere around 20 inches for us. Then in terms of deep injection, um, you know, doing it with the right machine, yes, we typically will use a strip till machine and uh, you know, we've, we've, we've done this with a lot of different machines. I'm just trying to say here, I don't exactly care how you get the fertilizer down in the ground, but you got to have something that will actually work down in the ground and place it down there. Something that's relatively heavy duty because it's a tremendous pull when you start getting down eight, 10 inches deep in the ground, placing fertilizer down there. Anyway, uh, yeah, I, 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 those are probably the things that I would do. Now, you could go with something, um, well, let's put it this way. In, when you talk about sinking out of sight, that was our, our biggest fear. But number one, just doing strip till and even going down to 8 to 10 inches deep, now we have cut below the first hard pan typically. So that helps us in a lot of ways. In terms of that deep ripping, when we have done it every 30 inches with a straight shank narrow point, then all we're doing is basically slicing through the ground, not rolling everything. And as long as we drive in between, we're usually in pretty good shape. But if you slip over and fall in, uh, that certainly could happen as well. So I'd be a little bit more hesitant with that. In other words, start slow with that. But in terms of some kind of strip till or deep placement, you know, eight to 10 inches deep, somehow, some way with some tool, we're all on board with that. We have seen good gains from doing that on our own farm, and I'm sure you will as well. We'll get to more of your questions right after this in the Ag PhD Mailbag. Revitech fungicide from BASF has been specifically developed for the selective soybean grower who doesn't compromise. If you think good is good enough, if you're okay with just achieving rather than overachieving, if average is your goal, this is not the fungicide for you. Revitech fungicide, brand new chemistry, three no excuse modes of action, zero modes of compromise. Sounds like the fungicide for you. Revitech fungicide from BASF, that's smart. Always read and follow label directions. Did you know soybean diseases like white mold and sudden death syndrome can survive in your soil even after rotating crops? Prevention of these diseases is a constant battle and yield loss from an infection can be devastating. The right management plan makes all the difference. Keep your beans safe this spring with Heads Up Seed Treatment. Heads Up guards your seed from both white mold and SDS. Stay protected and profitable by asking your seed dealer for Heads Up. Learn more at HeadsUpST.com. Introducing the next generation of weed control in wheat, Wide AR Match Herbicide. Uh, I'm sorry, is this a typo? I mean, there's an AR in the middle of Wide Match. Mm-hmm, that's the name. It's called Wide R Match Herbicide. Oh, my bad. From the top. <clears throat> Introducing Wide R Match from Corteva Agriscient. It's not a typo. It's an upgrade. The AR stands for Arlax Active for improved control of the toughest broadleaf weeds in wheat. Talk with your retailer to learn more. High-yield growers know that bringing in big bushels means establishing excellent emergence. Start your crop off right with the Germinator Closing Wheel from Farm Shop MFG. The Germinator spike design excels in variable soils and eliminates sidewall compaction. But what makes the Germinator unique is its inner rim shoulder firmer, which encases the seed with soil, maximizing seed-to-soil contact. 
it's not just any closing wheel. Reach your yield potential at farmshopmfg.com. Wherever you go, whatever you're doing, whenever you want. Farm your way with Case IH AFS Connect. Now you can farm, share data, and manage your fleet however, whenever, and wherever you want. Learn more at caseih.com slash farm your way. Morton Buildings knows that great buildings need great people, and we want you to be the newest member of our team. Morton is expanding its construction crew, and we're seeking new and experienced candidates to fill our crew member positions. Morton provides great pay and training, so be a part of the next generation to build Morton. Don't let the opportunity to join the best construction crew in the business pass you by. Learn more on our careers page at mortonbuildings.com. You're listening to Ag PhD Radio, broadcasting from the Morton studio today. We're right in the middle of the Ag PhD mailbag time, taking your calls and agronomic questions at 844-44-AG-PHD. Or you can email us, radio at agphd.com. Got an email from Anthony, and we were talking about double cropping, and he was responding to that. He said, just, just an FYI, we actually double crop soybeans after winter wheat here in southern Michigan. Now, I know everyone thinks Michigan is so far north, but he said we, we actually combine the beans and spray and then we plant. And we use, the tr- we use treated seed and up our population on the seed. We apply extra fertilizer before the wheat's planted and, if needed, add nitrogen and potash before the soybeans are planted. In a good year, we can get the wheat off by July 4th, and the beans are planted by July 10th or 15th. If we can't get the beans in by the 15th of July, though, we don't even try. With the right amount of fertilizer and proper weed and pest control and planting date and rain, hopefully, we get 40 to 50 bushels off the soybeans in a double crop situation in southern Michigan. That's really impressive. Uh, thanks for sending that in, Anthony. We really appreciate that. Yeah, a lot of folks think you got to be quite a ways further south than that. And I would also say people don't realize how how that uh, climate pattern dips a little bit. So southern Michigan, you can actually do quite a few things out in the field. Thanks, Anthony. All right, got a question here from Matt, and this is on corn planting. He said, minimum till corn in a drought situation. I'm planting my corn two to two and a half inches deep on some hilly ground and some parts of the field are extremely hard and dry but I'm getting it to the depth that I want I think to the moisture too playing with my closing wheels and running more pressure on them than I usually do I'm wondering if you think this is a good idea the soil seems a little firmer after we're doing this but I'm thinking that this could result in better seed to soil contact too so just curious what you think and if you have any watchouts. okay so first of all in drought conditions, planting to moisture does make an awful lot of sense because then you can get that seed germinated and get it going. When you don't plant to moisture, then you end up with sporadic emergence. Some plants actually have moisture, some don't. Your 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 stand's really uneven, and that can really hurt overall yield. In terms of closing things up, it's really, it, it's Let's put it this way. Yes, we, we farm in some pretty dry conditions too. And some years it's just frustrating because you're like, I, I it feels like I'm packing that ground super hard. And then if let's just say you get this big rain 
and sun and heat right after, you can end up with some crusting problems there. So that would be, in terms of a watch out, the one thing that we would say, but I don't know what you do because we know that you have to have good seed to soil contact. We know that it pays to close the seed furrow and close it well. So there's just no great way around it. I will say this. There are a lot of people that switch what they're doing for closing wheels. I mean, in in terms of packing, in terms of closing, in terms of the finish there, I, I mean, there are different ways to handle that. But, yeah, I, I just... I, I, I hope you understand where I'm going here. So I'm, I'm trying to tell you, you, ha- you still are going to have some risk, whichever plan you have here. But we know we want to plant to moisture. We know we want to get that, that good to seed to soil contact. And then we're going to take our chances basically after that. All right. Thanks for the question. We've got this from Jim in South Dakota. He said, we're planting soybeans green into standing rye cover crop. What would you suggest as the best chemical program to burn down the rye and kill any emerged weeds that are popping up early? We're going to do this right after planting. Okay, so Roundup, just use a high rate of Roundup. If you have some Roundup resistant weeds out there, then you would have to throw something with that. Um, So he didn't say what kind of soybeans he was planting, though, did he? Enlist, extend, conventional, no idea. Okay. So that's going to vary. I'm I'm just trying to say here, uh, if if it was extend, I would use dicamba. If it was enlist, I would use 2,4-D. But understand, when you do those, that hurts the Roundup. So now you have to use a higher rate of Roundup yet. And with that rye, it depends on the, the temperature and how good a coverage you can get with with the Roundup. But I'm probably going to tell you if it's six-pound Roundup, I'm probably running at least a quart and probably a quart and a half to even two quarts. So Roundup's cheap. Just don't short yourself. And here's my concern. If you listen to people in the south and in the east where they have rain and they have heat, this planting into a live growing cover crop is fine. Our concern is moisture, that your soybean crop's going to run out of moisture. So that's that's my biggest fear with doing that. I, I, and if you think about this for just a second, think about anybody who's ever let their alfalfa grow into the spring, then tried to kill it off, plant soybeans. Invariably, all the farmers I've worked with over the years, for the 30 years, it's always hurt their soybean yield 10 to 20 bushels. So that's my fear of doing that. If it's me in a dry area of the country, I am probably going to terminate that cover crop in the fall, and then I have more moisture to use in the spring. All right. Thanks for the question. And it might tie in just a little bit. This one uh, comes in from TOW. Who says, I'm wondering, is there any relief from the 2,4-D burn-down weight window by choosing no. Enlist soybeans instead of other traits? Oh, okay. <laughs> we get questions on 2,4-D all the time. Oh, can I push it? on the... No, you can't push on 2,4-D. But with Enlist, then you know that if you use the 2,4-D too close, sure, it's going to be fine in terms of not hurting the crop. 
But no, you can't legally do that. As an agronomist, I can't tell you to do that because it's off-label. But if you did it, would it hurt anything? No. Okay, got this one from Dave who said, I, I watched your soybean agronomy workshop and heard, or saw that you talked about different herbicide options for specific weeds. I have three main weeds on my farm, giant ragweed, water hemp, and lamb's quarters. I'm wondering which program would you suggest to control all three of them? They are all significant weed problems for me. Okay, so pre-emerge, we always talk about the three pre-thing. So that's a yellow, that either trifluralinin, conventional till, or prowl and no-till. And then metribuzin and either authority or valor, the PPOs. Okay, so with lamb's quarter, lamb's quarters and water hemp, those are the three, and it's going to be outstanding. The problem is going to be on that giant ragweed. Are you going to get some activity on giant ragweed out of the authority or valor? Yes. Metribuzin? Yes. Yellow? No. That's where you miss. And so if you want a third effective mode of action pre, then you could use first rate. And hopefully you don't have ALS-resistant ragweed. But you could also save that giant ragweed treatment first rate uh, for early post-emerge if you wanted to. So it just depends on how bad we're talking here. So I might, for year one, just try the three pre thing, the yellow, the metribuzin, and authority or valor. But if you've already done something like that and you go, well, it's good, but it's not perfect. Okay, if you want the Cadillac program, then use Authority first or Sonic. It's the same thing. But then you'd get the Authority, you get the first rate, then add in Metribuzin, add in a yellow. Now you got four products. Three would be effective on Giant Ragweed. Post-emerge, you want to come along with some Flexstar early. And then that's really going to help you on all three of those weeds, especially the water hemp and the giant ragweed, and give you some residual. And Flexstar is dirt cheap. It's like 4 bucks an acre. So those are the products that I would use. And then if it's in List or Extend or whatever, I mean, you've always got those options and Liberty. I mean, there are, there are lots of options depending on which soybean you plant. All right, thanks for the questions. Got this one from Steve. He said, I've got high pH soils, 7.6 to 8.2, but my magnesium levels are low. And I'm wondering, what's the best way to add magnesium when you really don't need dolomitic lime? Uh, something like K-Mag, for example. And he didn't say how his potassium levels were, but there are some magnesium products out there. Just talk to a few fertilizer dealers in your area, see if they have any other options. There's also magnesium sulfate that could be used. So, I mean, there there are some choices. But like I say, I would talk to a few fertilizer dealers in your area. Yeah, it's it's tough to make fertility recommendations without a complete soil test. So if, right. if you're thinking about this and you're if you're listening to the show today and you say, oh man, yeah, magnesium is a problem. I've got this specific nutrient that is a problem for me. Maybe send us the complete soil analysis and we can take a look at that too because there may be something else you miss or there may be some balance issue out there that that might be more important. Well, thanks for listening today to the program. Be sure to join us again each weekday for more Ag PhD Radio.